Hello and welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Sammy Roberts and I'm joined today by... Phil Boer. Phil Savage. We haven't done a podcast in a while. Um, I think there's about 18 of our podcasts that begin in this fashion, but this time we took a much longer hiatus, three months away. Um, and rather than explain it away, I'm just going <laughs> to... just have, justify ourselves to you. <laughs> I'm just going to say that we're going to try and do it more frequently. Um, me and Phil were discussing it last no, week. No, don't commit. <laughs> Not weekly, but fortnightly. We'll do fortnightly. Uh, ish. Ish, yeah. And once we've done it for three or four months, we can create a, a hilarious, how, a new house ad to that effect. Because mm. it used to say almost weekly podcast. It did. It did the last issue, because again, I really thought we were going to record. We are record. really stretching some trade. <laughs> descriptions. <laughs> we're recording right Rings. now. And while we're suspicious of the recording software that we're using actually mm. picking this up, um, it should uh, it should all be okay. And we have actually played quite a lot of games in the three months since we <laughs> since we last spoke on this podcast. Played so, a couple, yeah. So that helps. And uh, a few of those are the big blockbuster releases that come out around the holiday season. So we're going to talk about those today, Ooh. and um, shall we start with Hitman 2 in that fashion? Yeah, Phil? might as well. Um, so I would say that about 10% of your time spent on PC Gamer in total has been invested in reviewing Hitman games. Uh, certainly a lot of 2016 uh, was spent reviewing Hitman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this time you only get to review it once, mm. uh, which is a shame. Um, is it? <laughs> Well, no, for me it's a shame because mm. it was an interesting social experiment to watch you go through reviewing the same game six times was... and then a seventh time for Games Radar. Uh, yeah, and then an eighth time for a season <laughs> roundup thing that we did. <laughs> yeah, so that was. Not sure how you were the same person at the end of it. You probably weren't, actually. Probably not. No. Um, but Hitman 2 is out, and uh, it's instead of being episodic this time, it all arrives in one package. Yes. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the Hitman experiment was interesting in the. I've never had to dig quite as deep into individual levels before when writing a thing. Uh, usually it's just, hey, the game's all right. And uh, this was like, the game's all right, but in this specific configuration. Um, but now that there are, now that it's just one game release again for the sequel, it's it's all right. Yeah. No, it's a, it's good. Um, I've forgotten how to podcast, Sam. Me too, it's been yeah. so I, long. When I did the introduction, I was like, oh, what do I say here? PC Gamer UK. Okay, yeah, fine. Good, good, good. Um, why don't you tell us about the levels in Hitman 2? I've played yeah. a couple of them. There's uh, there's one on a Miami racetrack. Yeah, um, so there are six in all, although the first one um, is kind of this small introductory space. It's like a beachfront property in New Zealand. Um, they kept that quite quiet, actually, but... There's because I think they said there were six locations. They, they call it six sandbox levels or missions or whatever the term for it is. Yeah. Um, and it's like the first one, eh, you know, there's a bit of variety as as in any Hitman level. Like going back to Codeman Forty Seven, there are a few ways you can kill a target even in a small level. Like, Codeman Forty Seven. Yeah, code, no. code name for code it. Oh, code Man is a much funnier name, though. They should have called the series Code Man. <laughs> I should also, in, in reviewing this game, my brain has broken. Uh, I was sat trying to uh, submit files for the magazine earlier, and I realised like at least three of my folders were called Hitman in some. It's like Hitman <laughs> feature. It's like we're not doing a Hitman feature. You're just inserting the word Hitman into things now. Yeah, that's always a sign that I've gone a bit wrong. I need some sleep. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's the first level is kind of an introduction. It's very handholdy. It tells you you're walking along, and it's like, "Hey, look, there's a screwdriver here. Maybe that'll be useful later." Wink, wink. Um, so it's it's part tutorial, part kind of small, small like uh, paddling pool sandbox. To doesn't make sense either. <laughs> I, I think mean, sandboxes are actually quite small. Mm. Like people should be like aiming for beaches or something instead. Yeah, if they yeah. want something, that's true. This is a beach that is a sandbox. Though. Like, what's the biggest sandbox you've ever seen? Also, how much use does a sandbox actually have? I mean, you can. I mean, you can run like your little toy cars through it and build some little castles, but mm. it's not like you can make your dreams come true with a sandbox. I mean, I guess the interactive potential of a sandbox is quite limited. Yeah, but it's well, very maybe freeform. That's quite a, a good thing to bear in mind for games. Maybe it's <laughs> it's less about live your dreams and more about adjust your expectations. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> It looks like it's an uh, illusion of freedom, but really it's very limited but mm. in a larger space. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, good. So the first proper level then is yeah, it's that Miami one with mm -hmm. um, 
the, uh, one of your targets is doing a race and uh, these Le Mans cars that, um, and that's sort of just happening as you explore the grounds and sort of it, uh, try and get to grips with uh, like a lot of them are very complicated spaces I find um, the map hasn't quite caught up with the increased complexity of um, navigating uh, large spaces, usually ones that have like little underground passages and... That one in particular is quite complicated to cross, like there isn't really a bridge you can get across. There's an underground parking lot, but without that it's, it, it took me a while to find even the route to sort of the second target, who is um, just sort of hanging out in this exhibition centre that is attached to the mm. um, the track. Yeah, that's... Um, I, I, I had to be shown by a community person where the, there was like a lift shaft you could climb down that was like another way through Ooh. to that other side of that racetrack because I was playing that multiplayer mode in it. Oh, and, right, uh, yeah. Me and the other player couldn't work out how the hell to get to the other side of the a level to actually kill the target, and we wasted about 10 minutes doing that. And um, that's why I never put the footage of it online <laughs> <laughs> because I would have been owned. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, that is quite complicated to figure out. Um, mm. But the. Uh, level set in the, I want to say the Colombian jungle, is that right? Yes, that's the next one is, um, that's, I can say that's like a lot better than that first level Yeah, Shades of Sapienza from uh, The Last Hitman with yeah. that one. Um, yeah, we were discussing it because there's like a, a wide open sort of like town style space to explore on the outside, then there's this huge gated mansion, and then there's like a another secret element to it, isn't there? Mm. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on and, um like that one really surprised me because uh, there's three targets on that map and I think I've been playing it for a good 30, 45 minutes uh, having dealt with you know one or two targets and then you just uh, will stumble upon a completely new area with like entirely new things going on, mm. a new sort of new I guess ideal ways to traverse through them if you're going silently that kind of thing um, it's yeah like the size of a lot of these maps is an actual benefit for a game like this because it does mean like extra options and ways to vary up how you play through them. Um, I think one of the things that comes across in Hitman 2 as a whole is where the last game sort of, because of how it was released episodically, they could focus on you know, they they got their core Hitman levels in place and then would start to do slightly more experimental things. You know, there was the one that was like, oh, this mission's going to be one where there are no public areas to walk. It's um, it's this farm. Uh, it's a militia farm or something? I can't remember. It was two years ago. <laughs> but, you know, you can't you can't just walk on there. You will be, uh, you will be trespassing the moment you start the level. And then Hokkaido was like, okay, well, this is... A high-tech space where there is a different way of moving through it um, because of the security systems in place whereas Hitman 2 all of the levels there are basically just this is a very good version of a Hitman level or a, you know a, a type of Hitman level we've probably built before okay I think every level kind of harks back to something I've seen before in the series mm. um, and that's I mean, that's fine because it lets them... There seems to be more thought put into, like, the kind of more granular moment-to-moment -moment experience and actually how interesting guard patterns will work. Like, you get a disguise and there always seems to be, like, an interesting problem involved with that disguise. You know, a specific person placed in a certain place who will see through it, forcing you to sort of circumnavigate. You're like, you're never... You never feel like you're quite home free. Like there's one disguise that would just let you move through the entire area. Mm. Um, mm. So, yeah, by not, I guess, by not pushing like the the experimentation too far, it has just let them create something incredibly robust and well made. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah, I think we were talking about how its sort of uh, familiarity was kind of a strength. 
Um, whereas it, it's not maybe that uh, that exciting to look at as a sequel. Yeah, I mean, to more, compared to more radical sequels, but I think me and a bunch of reviewers have noted is this: like originally the plan was for there to be a Hitman season two. Yeah, they always talked about the next game being season two of of um, the episodic thing. And even though it is one package and it's releasing at once, it it's season two essentially. Like they. It, it doesn't upgrade in any way, really. Like there are a couple of extra features. It's the, but it's like minor UI changes, or hey, there's mirrors now, and guards can see you through mirrors, which never really became a factor. That right. never came up once. Like sometimes there was a mirror, and I'd see, oh, that's a mirror, but it never affected how I was playing the game in any way. Yeah, I guess I guess you'd have to be stood near one at the time when. Have to be like stood that. near one and actively doing something you shouldn't be doing, which they you sort of learn not to do. They could have had a level set in that Hall of Mirrors, like in James Bond. They could have. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if again, like, unless there's an area of a map that I've not actually visited yet, they chose not to. Yeah, um, if there's like an amusement, like funhouse kind of thing, maybe you should check that out <laughs> in mm. case. Maybe they've added like a room full of mirrors to uh, Hitman One or something. Well, like the level, level does have like an entire penthouse, a glass, a glass penthouse thing that I never visited. I so I don't know. Maybe there is somewhere. I guess it's a, a, the Paris level has the changing room with all the mirrors, but I mean it's always very full of people, so there's no. It, yeah, I mean that's. I guess that's the problem. Is like there are a lot of rooms in Hitman where you just can't fuck about anyway because yeah. you will get seen. Um, like Mumbai, that's the um, I guess fourth level. Um, I don't want to like dig into too much, too many of them, too granular. Because you want people think to be able to find. The there are some nice surprises in there, and it's kind of fun just sort of seeing what's next and discovering yeah. what the location's like. Um, I think Mumbai, which it it does sort of the the bustling crowd thing that Marrakesh did or um, New Orleans in Blood Money. Um, it's a really good space, but again, it's like you can walk anywhere pretty much. You know, just dressed as forty-seven because it is a public market. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, you, it's very hard to take a disguise out while you're in streets because there are just loads of people about everywhere, and whatever you do, you'll be seen. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Even, like it seems to be more of the same, but in a good way. Mm. If somebody didn't know where to start, like, would you say that they should go straight for two, or is one still, like, a better or a more innovative? Uh, to an extent, one has been almost completely surpassed by two? Like, not just surpassed, but consumed mm. as well. Two has consumed the first game, like, I'd suggest to buy, get this one, um, because also it is very slick in the way it, it enables um, a bunch of options that let you kind of easily get to grips with what it is. Um, by default there's this mission story system which is a lot like Hitman's opportunities thing but it is a way of sort of guiding you through, okay you've you've overheard a little plot strand here that will take you through a target you know, will take you to the target that you're after. Here are the steps you need to complete to follow through on that. And it sort of lets you engage with the more kind of practical aspects of playing the game, things like you know, okay, how do I take this disguise off this person um, without them being found how do I sort of hide bodies, that sort of thing, and get you towards your objective but it removes a bit of the kind of puzzleish element, which you know, if you're trying to figure out how to play, is quite helpful. And you can, you know, turn... You can either turn that stuff off, or you can sort of minimise it as well, so that it's not quite as in your face. Like, it'll tell you what you should be doing next, but it won't show you exactly where to go to do it. Hmm. And that sort of thing. So there's a lot of scope for that. Um, and the 2016 Hitman did that quite well as well. But the thing with Hitman 2 is it's clearly designed as... The platform for what the game's going to be in the next year or so. Mm. Um, there's a thing called the Legacy Pack, which is free if you own the first game, and I, yeah, I assume you'll be able to buy it for however much um, when it's out, and that's just all of the first game's levels, slightly spruced up, and they're just available in the Destinations folder of Hitman 2. Um, like, there are both campaigns are in the campaigns menu along with Patient Zero which was like the game of the year bonus DLC yeah. and the tutorial which is the same tutorial Hitman had it's just they've just taken it and put it into Hitman 2 like yeah. it's a big it's a big chunk of stuff like uh, yeah I think like if you get 
all of it. Um, if you've got the first game already and you get Hitman 2, it just feels like this big, yeah, again, platform for this type of mission. Mm. And they're going to keep expanding on it. I think they've announced two expansions already. We'll add a new location each. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah so, and from there, they'll add all of their kind of weekly online stuff, which is mm. Sean Bean murder. For so, one thing. there's only one week of Sean Bean, though, right? And it's been One week it. ever of Sean Bean. Although he is called the Undying, so maybe they're exp- they're planning to do every a few week you kill Sean Bean. Every week yeah. you kill Sean Bean. That seems like a good use of the investment. You know, maybe he maybe time. Would, maybe it'll be like once every two months you get a little Sean Bean treat. He plays a different character each time, maybe, um, and comments on how he's died several times before. Maybe he just comes round. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's a very novel uh, addition, isn't it, Sean Bean? It's very. Marketing friendly, mm. I would say, just like, oh yeah, that guy dies lies in the game where he dies. Like, it's kind of weird to see where the money's been spent in like the development of this game, or the, or where it feels like money's been spent because like the presentation of a lot of the story, for instance, the cutscenes—they're all just like not static but like dynamic images, and it just is just a storyboard essentially. I think that's okay though, isn't it? I mean, it's fine. It's just weird when they've also got missions from the first game or the tutorial cutscenes in there and they're fully animated and you go to the second and it's like hmm, okay yeah that is weird isn't it uh, that is a but good... then also Sean Bean's in it <laughs> I had a weird moment where that Sean Bean trailer popped up on YouTube this morning but for some reason you know when your brain just glitches out on something and I just I I had convinced myself that I'd imagined Sean Bean and that he wasn't a real person. So I just looked at this trailer. I was like, is that Kenneth Branagh? <laughs> like, cause, just because by default, I thought that Sean Bean doesn't actually exist as a human man in the world. Mm. Kenneth Branagh plays Sean Bean. Dream. Plays the Undying. That was a weird moment. And then I was like, wait, the advert has now timed out sufficiently that I can just fast forward to whatever the, the thing was that I was trying to check. So I'm, I'm going to defer this problem okay well to the <laughs> listeners out there Sean Bean is real as far as I know so I mean, you say <laughs> I've never seen him in person so you know fair mm-hmm. enough well when he comes around off the back of this hitman <laughs> stuff okay good well uh, that seems like a good note to wrap that up, that up on um, yeah. yeah I'm looking forward to getting through those levels and I'm glad that Hitman still exists even though I think they've picked a very poor time of year to release it I mean uh, sh- possibly yeah after Red Dead and before Fallout like that's just going to get ignored there I think whereas if they released it in January nothing else is out in January Mm. and it could have got a bit more attention Uh, because I feel like the people that I know who really like Hitman will make time for it like it doesn't feel necessarily as though it's a game that is courting a really wide audience it has a contingent of people who know it's their kind of thing whereas the others sort of um, target more broadly yeah that's very true I think like my assumption would be though that they are hoping after the first game struggles they would find a bit of a broader audience and they're less likely to do it mm. at this time of year like i mean that's all like business talk though save it for games industry.biz you know i mean don't know why i'm even talking about it people uh, want to hear our <laughs> thoughts about q4 calendar <laughs> uh, and its ip potential or whatever mm. all right phil um so your next game is forza horizon 4 that came out a little while ago but it we've did. Uh, we've not discussed it obviously on the podcast have you played this one nope I, I the... tried, and yeah. then I, I drove through a dry stone wall, couldn't run over a sheep, stopped, got out, took some pictures of the wildlife or whatever, and then it never went back. Oh. <laughs> it was the free demo, because um, my work PC didn't run it smoothly. Right. So, yeah. yeah, well, so we need to get those processes changed, don't we? Tom had to go home yesterday to play Hitman, didn't he? Because I'll office PC processors yes. couldn't handle because his processor cannot handle the game yeah yeah <laughs> I'm reminded of the time that when I played uh, Armour 3 in the office and um, it, it my PC started smelling of smoke oh, and it God. turned out it had blown like cooler fluid all yes. over the motherboard <laughs> Armour 3 broke it uh, too demanding um, yes yeah but like yeah because I really enjoyed my Forza slideshow <laughs> yeah yeah well it's uh, it, uh, people what people seem to really like its version of Britain like notably more than people have seemed to enjoy the setting in previous Forza Horizon games perhaps because it's so familiar but um, they like the way it presents Britain I guess it's kind of Lake District yeah bits I mean, of Scotland kind of thing I'm actually yeah I don't know if I like I enjoy the setting, but I don't think I prefer it to say Australia in Forza Horizon Three, which is just like I mean, obviously not realistic, but 
beautifully vibrant and mm. very colourful, just really interesting space to explore. Yeah. Whereas, you, you know, driving through British villages, you're just like, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I did live that for a while. <laughs> who have you had that enthusiasm from? Is it from Americans who are excited to see something that isn't maybe doing a weird version of their stuff for once? Or is it Admittedly, UK I've... people who are excited to actually finally see something that isn't American? Or... I think I've heard it from a few UK people who, A, yes, the it's not just America again thing, but also it's not like London or the obvious... Mm kind of bits of Britain that always seem to get represented in games. It is like, yeah, the Lake District and a few villages in Cheshire and yeah. Edinburgh to an extent. Evan and Stephen seem to be really big on the setting as well when mm. they first start playing it. So like, I think it's a mix of those, but probably all with the same perspective of it being set there is novel and interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I particularly saw it from Keza, who really liked the fact that Scotland was in there. Keza McDonald from The Guardian. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, as a game it has this seasons uh, system where yes. you've played through the first six or so hours right where it introduces you to all the seasons yeah it's, it's, there's like an opening montage that takes you through all of the seasons uh, and that's like one kind of one uh, like continuous race I think I played that game yeah it's, it's, um, it's less continuous than a lot of previous ones were because they actually put you in different cars and things it's like four kind of cuts with snapshots of things you'll be doing in um, each season and that's probably like a 10 minute introduction and then you play essentially a single player thing that is um, takes the structure of a lot of the Forza games where you're earning um, respect or influence or whatever the hell this stupid millennial YouTube influencer <laughs> bullshit <laughs> currency is yeah. um, to Clout. unlock the next season um, and yeah that's probably five or six hours or so just sort of touring each one to get like an idea of it and then you're booted into the actual game basically which is um it works on a weekly real-time cycle where uh everyone's just on the the sort of shared version of the map Mm -hmm. um so instead of instead of driver tars um Pip <laughs> just shook her head. Well, no, I mean, I love. I, I'm, I'm sad about instead of driver tars. I'm like, no, we can't get rid driver of the th- best word in marketing. Don't worry, driver tars <laughs> are still there in individual races, single player races that okay. you that you select, right. or if you go to an offline version of the world map. Uh, but otherwise, it's just other players, and they're driving about, um, and they're all ghosts, so they can't just ram you off the road like you know most dickheads would. If <laughs> you could interact in any physical way in this game, I don't understand how to race in that case. Mm. Like, I mean, what, what happens if you're not using someone else's side door? Again, as, when you as you're breaking, <laughs> like this is just for the open world stuff, and then you drive up to an event, and then you can launch that event in as a single player race. At which point, you're given driver tires that you can ram into. Um, nice. So you so you. It is possible to corner still. Amazing. <laughs> when I grow up, I want to be a driver tar. <laughs> a good joke would be is if. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. It'd be if. Uh, Way if, to set yourself up. <laughs> if, like, spring, autumn, and summer in the game were all the same season and they just didn't change anything. Because, you know, that is what the UK is oh like. Oh, God. That was so <laughs> I went there. <laughs> But, like, really slowly. <laughs> hey, you know, I just thought I'd try a different approach to this gag, you know. I thought, you know. Oh, my God. First of all, first of all that warn you that a joke is coming. And then slowly deliver the joke. Again, I forgot I'd had a podcast. <laughs> to be fair, Phil hasn't laughed this much in a week. So. <laughs> so it was a good joke. I think because um, Hitman has broken Phil slightly. That's true. I'm going to move on to a different game then, rather than dwell on that disaster. Um, so, Return of the Obra Din. Am I pronouncing that right? Is it Obra? Obra Din, yeah. I believe. But yeah. I don't know whether I'm just saying that because every time I see it written down, I get Obla D, Obla Da stuck in my head. So it's Obra Din, Obra yeah. Da. But it's been a difficult couple of months, hasn't it? Look, <laughs> we're not doing well on the magazine side of this podcasting table. It's fine. Hey, I just delivered that joke, and I'm the online side. You know, that's 
Okay, yeah, so but you can just edit it. <laughs> that's what I've learned about online. I'll, yeah, I mean, like, Phil will be editing it. So uh, oh, that's true. He can just. <laughs> Phil won't be. Phil will just be putting it just online. Just top and tail this. Which stuff. is fair enough. I'm not going to say anything libelous this time. Yeah, if we could out. not. <laughs> I, I assume that Phil, somewhere, you've got a folder of all the libelous things I've said, like in MP3 form, like 12 seconds, that you can always break out if you need to, like. If, if only I had that much. If only Vine was still a thing, it could just be like Sam's libels. <laughs> Alright then, so this is a kind of detective game set aboard a ship that has returned from somewhere and all of the crew are missing or dead. They're dead, It's a ghost ship and you're there as an insurance um, investigator, Mm -hmm. I Mm. think is the the term. Um, Um, Classic uh, (laughs) protagonist you can empathise with. Exactly, (laughs) an insurance investigator with a magical timepiece. What is unusual about that, sir? (laughs) Um, and so what you're doing is you are using this um, pocket watch to tap into fragments of memories from the past of, of the voyages of this ship and so you can start to piece together what happened to the crew and as you get further through the story um, it, it's actually very good at feeding you this breadcrumb trail that you then figure out how you want to go back and forth within and which bits of evidence stick out to you at a particular point in time and then you use the little logbook it gives you to assign a um a fate to people so you pick out how you think they died and if you think someone else was involved you say what they did and with what it's it kind of like cluedo in that regard Hmm. um and there are other kind of more sort of mysterious fates and disasters and things. And then when you've got a certain point, you then unlock the final stuff that it's kept away from you. So you you get the, the payoff of everything that happened. So each um, death is represented as a kind of like diorama frozen in time, isn't it? Um. Yeah, it's not necessarily each death, but there's a key death in particular scenes so the the book divides up into chapters and each chapter centers around a point in this story and then people do die in each each scene from that chapter or mostly they do but then you will also sometimes have people who are left at the end who disappear in that in that segment of story okay. and you then can intuit what has happened to some of them. So yeah. it's like it, it's not think, always as straightforward as I saw this person die and now I just need to figure out who that person was that was standing next to them with a hatchet or something. Yeah. It's I think, like, yeah, oh. it's a case of can you either physically or mystically a- access their corpse somehow? Mm. And if yes, uh, there'll be a scene for it. Okay. And if no, you have to figure out what happened to them based on clues found around the time they went missing. Mm, Yeah, because when you first get on the boat it's just an empty boat basically with one corpse that you can see and so as you see more scenes and as you follow the the trail around, the boat itself gradually gets populated with these ghostly remains and so it's the, the remains of that corpse that you see the moment of their death so you'll maybe see somebody dangling off the side and you'll use your pocket watch on them and it'll show you that snippet of scene and other people might disappear during that moment but it centres on that person so you might see other people in the throes of something bad happening to them and then you would maybe intuit that if they're not in the next scene Mm. on that chain that's the moment that they disappeared and you'd um, infer what had happened or use logical deduction yeah yeah uh this is um you know what you described there is pretty much speaks to the strength of the game which is that it's an open-ended feeling detective game um mm. you don't feel like you're being even though there is a solution you'll you don't feel like you're being railroaded into sequential solutions which i think can be a drawback of some scripted detective games well it also feels like because phil and i compared notes afterwards and one of the things that i wasn't sure how I felt in that moment but I actually quite like is that you don't it, it has a little bit of leeway built yeah. in so it will accept logical answers so Phil and I had had a few deaths where we'd both been judged correct or correct enough for the thing to continue because we'd made a sensible reasoned mm. 
decision on what had happened to a person, but we'd actually both gone slightly different directions or we'd, the phrasing we'd used. Yeah, different. we knew what happened, but the exact specifics were slightly different. But yeah. because because in both cases, what we'd put pointed to what had actually happened, it was like, yeah, that's fine. Like, um, I think that's actually crucial to why I enjoyed being in that game world because it wasn't being needlessly picky it was it, it wasn't it, you didn't get to the point of look okay I know what's happened I'm just not selecting the right yeah. thing from this drop down for you to let me move yeah forward. no point did I have to feel like I was guessing the designer's intent from a situation mm, I was yeah. I, it, like it actually felt like I was interacting with the scene as it happened and you know coming up to conclusions that made sense and the game was would always accept that mm. um it's so good. Mm. <laughs> it's just ridiculously good, especially in the landscape of detective games where a lot of people have tried a lot of things and very few of them have come off in any satisfying way that makes you feel like you did any detecting or deducing. Yeah, that little bit of leeway is kind of what I loved about her story as well, uh, mm. which is, I think Andy drew that comparison. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, because like, in that you're not really... You're basically interpreting what happened as opposed to getting a hard solution. Yeah, I mean, I guess her story is quite different in that the game, her story never has a function for validating what you think. No, that's true. Um, mm. So you can miss pieces of information and never actually get the yeah. full story. If you don't I mean, you can come out of that with completely the wrong idea of what's going on. Yeah, um, yeah. So okay, that is different. Mm. Yeah, but um, yeah. In any case, I just like the idea of detective games where you're left to. Uh, yeah, well, you're not just doing that Phoenix Wright style thing of what is yeah. the exact answer I want right mm. now. The game, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it scales well as well. Like it always feels like there is a thread that you can be picking on that was is within reach, and you know it gradually gets well. Like often the death, the method of death is less of a challenge than just working out who the specific people characters are. Mm. It's like okay. This person may have been killed by this person, but who are those people mm. and why? And um, it does it does quite a good job of like basically telling you, look, this is how much deductive effort you're going to need to go through to figure out who this character is. Yeah, and um, unless you sort of okay, well. I know not to bother looking for this character just yet because that's probably going to be further down the line after I've already crossed off a few names from the ship manifest. Uh, mm. So, okay, well, this this person seems within reach based on a couple of contextual clues. Yeah, oh, he's called Lebanese Dave. That will work. <laughs> Sometimes it does <laughs> draw on that quite a bit, is like thick accents. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, something that I'd really like to check up on, and I, can't, I keep forgetting to do it when I have internet um, in front of me, but is whether those moments are as straightforward as maybe assuming someone's identity from how they're looking or whatever, or whether there are other clues that make it, you know, that you don't have to just rely on those assumptions. I think, yeah. I, think I checked one particularly egregious example and, like, whatever website had ripped, you know, decided that the clue was just the obvious thing. Okay. Um, but that's not to say there isn't another clue there that yeah. they missed. I mean... I hmm. think I'd just be super interested in, like, a breakdown of all of the different clues you get at any mm. given time because the other thing is um, I was talking to you about this Phil but um, there were a few times where I got the right result but I realised after the fact that my my logic was more intuitive than I thought it was it wasn't pure logic it was there was like an assumption that was tangled up in there that I hadn't that, that I'd actually so, so it felt right, and I knew that it was right, but I hadn't figured out the the, the missing step in mm. the reasoning that got me there. If that makes sense. Mm. So that was kind of interesting. Well, I will. Uh, I've mm. actually got the third set of people to figure out, so I've got a way to go. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it seems like a really cool game. Probably be in our game of the year. I would imagine it will make our game of the year kind of like one of the categories. It's yeah. definitely in my recommendations mm. for yeah. that. Okay, cool. Good stuff. Mm. Um, in which case, uh, we move to your next game, Pip, which is uh, Greece. I think we decided it's called. Yeah, it's um, that's our attempt at Spanish pronunciation. <laughs> Greece. 
Maybe. Um, <laughs> which then just sounded like I'd lost. That just sounded like groundskeeper my... Willie talking about gr- his well, retirement that's nice, Greece. Because I can't reliably <laughs> do any accent. So <laughs> if we could just chop that out and I'll trot that out every time I need to pretend <laughs> I can do a Scottish accent or a parody of a Scottish it's accent. Like, oh, do you not believe I can do a Scottish accent? Send Behold, it to Joe. Greece. Send it to Joe because he doesn't believe that I can do anything other than. Zero. I don't want Joe to um, like put anything bad about me on Glassdoor now that he's left. So I can't be giving him ammo like that. Like, you know, <laughs> can you validate uh, Pip's Scottish accent for me, Scottish man? Thank you. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so it is a very light, puzzly uh, platformer featuring a blue-haired lady who explores sorrow, I believe is the way that they phrased it, in a series of um, beautiful landscapes with very stylized uh, trees and rocks and things, Hmm. um, gradually activating more and more bits of a colour palette as she goes through. Um, Yes. Yeah. Sort of so sad RN the platformer but like that's not the first one this is what we were discussing earlier wasn't it Pip Mm. was to what extent it's familiar and whether that means whether that takes anything away from this Mm. game as it is I think it does a little bit just because a lot of the elements are so familiar I think it depends on how many of them you tend to play in general because I think you and I have had a very different recent play history, so my my gaming palette tends to have more of that kind of thing yeah, anyway. Yeah, for sure. So I get a little bit more immune to some of the things that I think maybe would strike you as charming or a nice change of pace from the blockbuster stuff, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Odyssey that you've been playing. So it's, you know, it's like, what, a thing that I can complete in a reasonable time frame for a human man? <laughs> yeah, I think it's because I was being... Because I... We wanted something on the site for it, so that forced me to sit down and play it, whereas okay. otherwise I probably would just trundled on with the 90-hour games that people keep <laughs> releasing. Um, and so, yeah, but, but even I feel the familiar elements. Like, I thought about... Mm like Journey or Child of Light or uh, other games that I've played in like for IGF judging that I've forgotten about Uh, I don't know there are a lot of platformers 2D platformers which use a lovely very appealing aesthetic to explore an emotion in quite a nebulous way and I know that that's going to sound shady as hell no, no, I don't that think description. so. That description. Or it has the capacity to, and I'm not... I, I don't think that that's a bad thing, but I do think that the thing that each one needs to do to exist in that space is to be um, different enough aesthetically because people enjoy playing them. They're very low stress. They're kind of... They're very pleasant to be in and to, to look at and to enjoy almost in a kind of... Instagram consumption way um, and I think that that maybe is a, a strength of, of theirs and it's a function that they fulfil and and this ties into the other part of the conversation that we were having earlier that um, I think a lot of people feel like they're not praising a game if they're not saying that it's not like genre busting or yeah. like the the greatest thing since X it's uh, and and this maybe ties back to the hitman conversation as well it 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 is enough often that a thing is competent it does the thing it needs to do to mm. be different enough that you play it as well as other things and yeah yeah, yeah that was something i was kind of conscious of reading the reviews other reviews of hitman 2 because other people thought they'd bother <laughs> stepping on my turf. <laughs> hey, Hit- Hitman Two is a stew. Okay, <laughs> it is. Don't. Know, we're gonna have to start editing it down. Thick, it soon. is full of meat. It has potatoes and dumplings, and sometimes you can serve it with Yorkshire puddings. Okay, and that's Hitman. That is Hitman. This is all saying. It's a Hitman that I know. But it's been interesting <laughs> seeing how people kind of frame that element of yes, this is you know the game again but different this is a problem with like games reviews you were talking about this Pip so I'm still actually I'm not going to steal your point do you want to <laughs> I mean we're, we're just we're just round tabling this point now for a yeah. bit but it's something that I've um, that I was particularly aware of when I was seeing people talk about Red Dead 2 um, 
and it's this sense of they they didn't feel like they were praising its achievement in terms of the the look and the expertise that had gone into it enough without adding all of these other adjectives oh, yeah, and yeah. and it's kind of like but it to me it was like it it isn't redefining anything it's not breaking any of those hmm. genre conventions or whatever else and and the fact that if you're not doing that you're somehow not achieving like it's it's clearly a very beautiful very intricate very long game <laughs> um with a lot of people's expertise tied up in it for better or worse with the whole crunch side mm. but it 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 should be enough to just say it does the thing that it does yeah big and pretty <laughs> it's yeah i think it's uh, since i've been in games writing since i've read games reviews like people in reviews always feel like they need to be saying oh this thing is new or isn't new and that's good or isn't good like and that is a weird thing you don't get with like criticism of yeah. film or maybe you do with tv shows a little bit hmm. uh but i don't know i don't know but i think, I think genre tv is more accepted or like sure. you know um procedural yeah. stuff particularly like or soap operas it's like you know. yeah the format is comforting to people for um, hitman i think it's the thing i felt the need to point out probably because it's you know it's a 45 pound game and i think there is still an element of consumer advice to reviews yeah i think absolutely. there should still be an element yeah. of consumer advice to reviews and um like i I think if you're spending that amount of money, it's good to know what you're getting into. And and because the game doesn't exist in a vacuum, it exists in a cycle where there are marketing campaigns that tout, oh, this transformative feature or that thing. And it's like, well, you know what? Picture-in-picture -picture notifications isn't the most revelatory part of Hitman 2. Yeah. It's nice, I guess. I didn't really notice it. Hmm. Uh, but that doesn't stop it just being a great collection of, of you know, the type of game experience that I yeah. are really good at making. Com pulling that back around to Greece, then, like, mm. um, I think that, yeah, I agree. Yeah, sort of. I end up falling between those things a little bit, I guess. Like, mm. I, I know it's familiar, um, but I, yeah, I, I, I nonetheless admire the artistry of a lot of it. Like, um, I think it does clever things with scale, like in terms of mm. how how the camera will pull out and show you tiny in this giant ruined environment, or the, the animations particularly. Mm. There's uh, we were talking about the bird earlier. There's bird, um, which is it expresses movement and vitality by not being a, a, an entirely defined static shape it, it it's a bird but it also flows yeah. um the actual sort of um the shape that it takes morphs a little almost like smoke or like water at points to mm. to express that kind of living mobile kind of uh, yeah it's like a shuttery kind of uh, effect they use in the animation as well to sort of slow down the frame rate of the animation to make it look more like you're watching something old an old animated something so there's um the trees particularly there's a there's an old uh, disney artist um who did things for uh, sleeping beauty there's some very specific imagery that comes to mind that i will link you to after because I think you might be interested but um, it, and so it, it does definitely have that earlier um, vibe to it that earlier kind of stylistic element but also because because it's trading in not trading in but because it's dealing with the idea of sorrow um, I've been thinking about that a lot today because I think that if I, I'd like to check a language corpus to see if this checks out but the idea that I have is that sorrow is actually a very um, not staged emotion but it's it's caught up in presentation in a different way like people use it more in poetry or in sort of this uh, not sanitization exactly but of grief like making it manageable and so sorrow for me conjures up images of um like 
angel statues in graveyards and things like that and and the statuary in the game taps into that as well and I don't think it will be a coincidence because it's made by somebody with with visual literacy and it's clearly yeah. taking inspirations from from a bunch of places hmm. um, but yeah because I yeah I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about whether it achieves what it sets out to do because it says it's you know explores sorrow or like takes you on a journey through and I'm not sure how I feel about that because I'm not sure how much of a it's going to sound so uh, right I'm just going to go full let's do it do it I'm not sure how real of an emotion sorrow is that you can explore it. I think it's highly curated and highly um, refined into poetic expressions of suffering or sadness that smooth away all of the 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 worst or most scary elements. And so it's, I'm not sure what necessarily there is to explore that isn't aesthetic. It seems like an artistic, very romanticised version of sadness and grief to an extent yeah I picked up on grief more than sorrow actually mm. yeah like I, I think even one of the achievements you unlock is one of the stages of grief maybe um, but either way Pip I think that it asks you to meet it more than halfway with interpreting <laughs> whatever the fuck its symbolism means like I mean you can have a broken statue of an attractive lady like massive in the background looking sad and I mean I, I could write you some A-level mm. English lit bullshit about what that means but I don't really know and so I've just I've, I've owned up to that in the preview I'm like I mean all of this imagery is is nice because the artist is very talented but uh, I don't think I, I, won't, I won't pretend it means anything because the game isn't telling me enough yeah I think that's something that those games tend to lean into for better or worse I think there's a lot to be said for allowing people space uh, this maybe harks back to what we were saying about her story but you know it gives you space to put an interpretation on it but if the game is kind of doing very little of that work mm -hmm. you do then just suspect that you're bringing too much or that it, it's it, that's maybe not in the game you're not seeing you're more actually just using it as a mirror for things that you're interested yeah, in. Yeah, which I wouldn't mind pointing out if I felt like it was doing enough to make me project that onto the game. But because mm. it isn't, I'm not. I'm not prepared to give it too much credit for that. <laughs> uh, I, I'm wary that I um, told you two I would keep this to a, a lean time frame. So I'm going to move on to the next game now. Uh, okay. Mega Aquarium Pit. It's great. It's got loads of fish. Brilliant. Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> It, uh, you see, you picked up on this. I don't think anyone else reviewed this at the time it came out, apart from us. Um, but it's that a game you've been following. <laughs> you did. I think any game where you're looking after some kind of animal mm. or something that's like an animal, like a dinosaur. I mean, it was aquarium specifically. They could yes, not have handed yeah. to you anymore. Yeah. It yeah. was at Res, actually. I, I was walking past a room, saw some fish on a screen. It was like a, a very early build. And I was like, <laughs> right, I'm going in. <laughs> Step aside, paying customers. <laughs> <laughs> From Thrillapur of Big Farmer, right? Yeah. Uh, mm. Twice Circled, I believe, is the name of his studio. His mm -hmm. name's Tim, um, Tim Wicksteed, uh, and so yeah, it's a it's a, a tycoon kind of yeah. style game where you've got instead of a theme park, you've got an aquarium building, and so you're putting in tanks and the equipment that you need to keep things at the right temperature or the right water filtration systems, and then you plonk in a bunch of fish, you ideally check they won't eat each mm. other <laughs> um, or that they won't be terrified of each other um, all of those things that definitely I remembered to do all of the time <laughs> um, and you hire staff and you have little concession stands and things so you can sell them merch um, and then you let it run and see what needs fixing <laughs> cool, cool um, yeah. yeah, are you um, you so if I was to ask you to compare it to something like Two Point Hospital or... I would say I preferred Meg Aquarium. Mm. It, I, Two Point just didn't do it for me. It was, it was fine and it was very polished, but it didn't keep my interest beyond a few hours um, for different reasons, but it, it took about as much time as Jurassic World 
evolution to for me to have seen everything that I I cared to see yeah. in that world. Mm. Um, and I know other people will be different, but I think maybe if you weren't keen on Two Point or you thought that it wasn't all that, then Mega Aquarium is a, a good alternative in this space. I think. Okay. Um, and it's just it's just very lovely. It's very charming in a way that I don't find two point to be either. Yeah. Um I mm. I've never been that bothered about its humour and so but Meg Aquarium is like you can go down into a first person view onto the I was gonna say the shop floor, but the aquarium floor and <laughs> you can you can actually walk around and experience your own like areas and just be like oh okay that's cool that's what that looks like here or you know all of that stuff mm. um yeah i really like it that's cool i hope they have some kind of uh, dlc pack where you can have some sea lions or something <laughs> um but uh yeah yeah i haven't i haven't maxed out the number of levels of fish yet um because you work your way through levels you've got a tutorial kind of structure but you can also do m more of a sandboxy experience so you can set up you know i want to start at this level and i want these people to like there's there's a few different settings that you can change so you want lots of people to offer you fish trades or you know or very few or that kind of thing yeah um mm. but i've purposely held off doing sandbox and just activating the highest level because i think at that point that would break the game in my head because i I, I would have seen everything and it would have just become oh okay well I can just do whatever it's creative mode I'll just you know mm. it, it, it loses the friction that keeps you engaged I think at that point but other than that yeah mm. great the old RTS thing where you go in skirmish mode and turn the tech <laughs> the tech up to 10 so you can just build the highest nuclear bombs yeah. Yeah. just go straight to the super units and you're like well I guess I've seen everything now for Can't this. nine tanyas well this is why because on uh, No Man's Sky I have a creative mode built for just checking on things and seeing you know what buildings actually look like in new um, updates and things but that mode is the one that I bounce out of fastest because there isn't a reason to go mm. to the next thing or to do the next thing once i've checked on whatever mm. i'm checking so okay cool well uh in which case we'll move on to my game today um i was going to talk about assassin's creed odyssey as well but that came out quite a while a, a while ago now i imagine most people I mean, who are interested in assassin's creed are already playing it it came out for a sale after forza so which <laughs> which to be fair we didn't even talk about much so that is true i've only played assassin's creed odyssey for about eight hours so i don't you got feel... a good joke about assassin's creed maybe that'll be uh, and if i was if i had a good joke phil <laughs> yeah. i would warn you first and then i would begin to set up the joke laboriously oh, God. um so I'll talk about Fallout 76 instead because I've been playing... I played the Xbox One beta of that. I've avoided the PC one because Chris Livingston, who's been playing it on the website and writing about it loads every day, um, loads of good stuff about it, he um, said that he played two quests that completely reset after he finished them and had to do them again. And I was like, if I encounter that in the game, I might never play it again. Mm. Um, At so this point, it's probably yeah, best to wait until it's just out. Out and... Yeah, hopefully less buggy than... When is it out, or is that a TBD thing? Oh, no, it's out on the 14th of November, so it's okay. soon. Next week. Um, yeah, so I, I imagine they've learned a lot doing this. It's been a weird beta, because they've done it in time slots. Um, the first mm. one on Xbox was... It began at midnight and ended at either 3 or 4 in the morning. I think it was nice. 3, because I remembered people being a little... Irked. Yeah, <laughs> and tired the next day. <laughs> I played an hour and a, I think I played an hour and a half that first time, and I just nearly, I just nearly, I felt awful the next day and thought, okay, can't do that again. But then they did two at the weekend, um, and I, uh, I kind of enjoyed it. I've played about five and a half hours now. It takes a while to get going. It's mm. not as fun as regular Fallout for a bunch of reasons. Like one, it has no human NPCs in the game, which I didn't think would bother me. No, that's not true. I did think it would bother me, mm. but. Um, I think it took a while to sink in what that means and it means there's no real sense of hope in the world because there are no humans there apart from human players and it means who <laughs> are obviously all hopeless yeah so if you go to a, se a settlement there are lots of nice it's a gorgeous map um, full, of, full of amazing little environments and bits of West Virginia um, kind of brought to life in that elevated sort of 40s sci-fi sort of 30s sci-fi that Fallout does so well. 
fifties is what I'm thinking of. Fifties was the decade you're yeah, after. Like dark skies, but good. <laughs> yes, yeah, or like Forbidden Planet, sort of, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's a it's a nice Fallout place, but without having any sort of human NPCs to interact with, there mm. it loses something for sure. Um, and then there is the fact that other human players are there, which I haven't dealt with them much yet. I've been roped into a couple of events, and a few people have optimistically asked me to join their group, and I've just declined because um, I think mm. they, th- they think, oh, it's a multiplayer game, so you'll come along with me. And it's like, definitely not. <laughs> I'm here. I'm going to explore this world on my own, and then we'll team up. Um, and it's especially messy at the start of the beta because everyone had just started playing it. So it was there was about twenty level two players all hanging around the same little campsite. And it doesn't feel like you're starting your great Fallout adventure. It feels like you've joined like uh, army cadets, yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like a sort of like petulant teenager who doesn't know what they're doing, but they're excited to get their first like pocket knife or whatever. <laughs> um, but I'm f- I got further enough into it that I wasn't encountering human players as often, and I was just enjoying exploring its map and taking on quests. And there is a there is a, a main story thread. Mm. Um, even though I can't really remember what was going on in it, because when it's not when it's not delivered by humans, it's just harder to be as engaged. Like it's a lot of finding bodies with notes on them or like yeah. audio tapes, and it's just not Wait, as. A f- maybe Oberton isn't like- for you. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. I pointed this out in my preview. I was saying that like perhaps I just lack imagination, or I've forgotten what games were like, <laughs> RPGs were like before two thousand and four. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's just hard to go back when you're, you've played 3D Fallout and you're used to all those methods of delivery when it comes to mm. giving you quests. Um, I think even then, it's, you know, it's one thing to have like fully realised characters and voice acting, but just having a sense of NPCs populating a world to just give it a bit of texture. and Yeah. Yeah, it's weird that this is... That does seem strange. I don't see what it loses for... By by uh, like uh, having them there, like, do, do they think that maybe because there are other human players and they're meant to play the human part? I mean, the premise of the game is that you're going out to reclaim the, mm. the world and and rebuild. Yeah. But I don't know. But Fallout had people who survived the all Fallout had people who survived the blast and weren't in a vault. And yeah, I think it just would have added extra color to world. Made it made it feel more like Fallout as people are trying to acclimatize this sort of multiplayer hybrid thing they're doing. Or like, even if they just hadn't made that explicit, and so the idea was you might bump into something, you might well not. It might be a barren wasteland, mm. but just the the sense of will I that feels maybe uh, to me that would feel absolutely key to exploring that world in that time frame it's like did anyone else make it yeah like is there anything like the other thing that i remember they seemed to lean hard on at least in the marketing that filtered over to me was um the uh west virginia um mythology and the sort of um cryptozoology side of things is that something that they've put in the beta or yeah there is so there's um like Mothman is in the game and there are other like uh, Wendigos I think and um, other sort of uh, strange creatures Mm. Um, and Mothman very very cool design as well like um, people have been posting selfies with it because it won't always attack you there's um, there's, there are different variants will it come over (laughs) (laughs) bumps into it (laughs) head banging on your lumps Um, um, there are uh, Mothmen who will attack you but um, there's uh, apparently what Chris Livingston calls a wise Mothman. That's how it's it's called, what's called in the game. That okay. will just kind of be quite chill and hang out. Um, Tell you what to do with your investments. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's 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 a cool element. I've not really found anything out there yet like that. But there are lots of new and interesting Fallout beasties. I got into like a public event where this gigantic flying mutant thing started attacking me and another player. I was only there looking for like looking through scrap and stuff but because I was in the proximity of the event they were like yo you started the event now and it's like level 30 and it just comes swoops down to attack me that's like destiny it's like you just wander too close to something and suddenly it's like this dude's got beef you're like oh no (laughs) yeah there's one quest where I got like I don't know 150 caps saying oh well done you completed it and I hadn't done anything I just I was just walking through the area at the time and I think they thought I was participating (laughs) and they'd finished it while I was there so I got a reward and I was like okay I mean fine yeah Yeah. carry on my journey now Um, it's in mixed feelings on it I, I feel like about half of Fallout's players will probably hate it but the other half that is interested in some kind of maybe interested in survival games or other sort of like low-ish player count multiplayer games with 
the crate dynamic yeah. stories. I don't know. I think it's got something for sure. There's there is something there, and yeah, I. Uh, hmm. I'm interested in whenever people experiment with those, you know, combinations of number on servers or a different variation on maybe a familiar genre or experience or something that got big over the recent few years. Um, and so I'm super interested in that. It'll just be interesting, like, how how easy that is to tease out when it's so attached to a franchise that is such a specific shape in people's mm, heads. Yeah. Because Shelter seemed to do okay, but that was very much, like, just a thing to pass the time, you know, that got chucked out during a press conference while they were chatting about Doom. Yeah, basically. it was, it, it was yeah. just released that day, wasn't it? So, yeah, it was yeah. very much like, well, this is out anyway. Moving on, next thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to get into the Diablo stuff, but that's sort of... No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no. I just, yeah, I don't. It's, um, it's proximity to... Uh, Fallout 4 helped with Shelter, I'm sure, but mm. um, at the same time, I think that if they were going to try and multiplayer Fallout with the kind of audience it's got, it was always going to get people online being angry about it. I mean, Fallout is a series where whenever Bethesda do anything with Fallout, there are people online who are angry about it. Yeah. um, Because they just have not accepted that this is what the series is now. It's, you know, these first-person RPGs rather than the old turn-based, isometric things of the past. Yeah, I could could see... uh, I couldn't see why people would get so angry they'd feel betrayed over 76 but I could see why it wouldn't be your cup of tea for sure. I'm not particularly interested in it really um, No one on the team seems to be a part. But then I wasn't in, me, maybe. in GTA Online either and I ended up playing quite a bit of that so. Yeah same absolutely the same. Mm. I think I'm in that weird thing where the actual setting of Fallout stopped appealing to me after 3 mm. and so that element of it's part of this franchise is throwing me off and then I'm not mad keen on survival multiplayer yeah, yeah. Stuff I think that's another well. thing is so the survival aspect is it's very light though mm. like you, there's almost no consequence for dying in the game mm. you just lose your scrap which is you can you can just which not you can scrap Sam <laughs> you can store your scrap in your camp at any time and at which point it won't it won't go missing if you die like you won't lose any money or experiences it's quite gentle in that regard. Like, um, it's level gated in places though, which can be a bit yeah. just daunting and MMOE, and I'm not, I'm not as keen on that. Um, but then, you know, it feels like the sort of thing that I might pick up in February once, once most people have either settled into enjoying it and explaining why they enjoy it and it attracts me back in yeah. that way or when there's a bit of a lull and I'm catching up on things or saying I wonder how that did turn out in the end it might be a good team feature in, as well in mm. like all of us banding together and becoming outlaws and then seeing our lulls hanging out with a Wendigo mm. yeah exactly trying to get selfies with Mothman, Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> okay well in which case um, that is all the computer games so we'll wrap up the podcast um, nice. thank you very much for listening uh, I would ask for feedback but I feel like we should do more of these before we start encouraging people to email in and stuff mm. yeah like <laughs> if you have questions you can get them to us yeah yeah you know where we live you, yeah I assume, <laughs> online I, I mean s- not my actual house <laughs> that would be weird I see most people who listen to this are mag subscribers anyway so they'll know, they'll know what our contact email is but <laughs> either way <they're, laughs> I'm just not going to encourage it necessarily well, let's do, in that case shall we just like there's the website, which is PCGamer.com, which yes. is continually excellent. And there is the magazine, which is excellent in a monthly cycle, which is on news shelves. Yes. <laughs> news shelves. News shelves. Or, or delivered to your door directly. Exactly. You would like or to in digital route. format. Hey, all that. <laughs> yep, you can subscribe to the magazine from fourteen ninety nine a quarter, I believe now. Mm. Uh, I think I've got the right number there. Maybe. Uh, I think I have, yeah. Uh, which in is your very good. Q four earnings. So yeah, that that's is the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back uh, hopefully in two weeks. Um, that's what we're aiming for now. Yeah. Just going to go back to being fortnightly, not be over ambitious and pretend it's weekly. Ish. We'll have, had a bit, we'll have had a bit of practice by then as well. We've got one under our belt now, so it might go a bit smoother than <laughs> whatever the train wreck at the start of this one was. It was fine. I think we are just talking about 0.75 times the speed we used to. <laughs> um, but then I've been told that we talk quite fast on the podcast anyway. And, ah. uh, so, yeah, this might be more relaxing to people. That's the end of the podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>